Hey, Hoagie's Garage. Well, we had a windy night. She was thank drafty today. Thank goodness it didn't uh, snow anymore. No, no, no. Would have had a big mess then. You bet. Hey, Toe, remember that cot being awesome? Yeah. I got one for you. Oh, good. I got our first person to respond on that. And you know what? I'm going to offer Dale Keenan. I believe that's how you say his name. Looks good to me. But he should know who it is as long as he's listening. If he's listening, he can reach out and tell us what size Hoagie's Garage uh, baseball cap he wants. Oh, Since it's the first one ever, he's getting something. I'm not saying we're going to do that to everybody. But he's going to get rewarded for being the first one. But he's going to get rewarded. So his story um, is about Mark Dobmeyer. Um, Last year up at Houston, if you remember, they took kids down. Oh, to draw for the redraw. Yeah, to draw for the redraw. And then whatever number they drew out, they got to go pick a toy in that spot. Yep. Well, one of the boys had some autism, and he wanted a certain toy. Well, he wasn't the first one. I don't know the number he picked. Of course, his toy got taken. he was with Mark Dobmeyer, and uh, his toy got taken that he wanted. So uh, the story goes is that Mark really went out of his way to console this kid and, you know, to get him to try and calm down and everything else. And, you know, just really went out of his way to be a great guy, to help this kid out. And, um, you know, it it was maybe a little touchy situation because it's in front of so many people, you know. And if the people were even paying attention, they were probably watching the other kids taking presents. So yeah. it was probably overlooked anyhow. So yes, but Mark Dobmeyer, you know, it just shows you kind of the guy Mark is. Yep. I mean, Mark, you know, we've interviewed Mark a couple times and he's absolutely awesome. And, um, I want, and now he was caught being awesome. He was caught being awesome. There we and, go. And, <laughs> you know, and we want to thank Del Keenan for, um, sharing that little story with us. And Hey, we have a we have a great podcast tonight. You I'm know, looking forward to this one because you know it, it's a little bit of the history. You know, this is going to be a great history lesson for us all. I think on racing. Um, my my wife will attest that I watch a little too much of the History Channel once in a while. Don't always trip or trigger. <laughs> so I'm I'm looking forward uh, to this one. Yep, absolutely. So Sean Tom Sean Tom, Thomas. There you go. From Pella, Iowa. Now was from California, but now he's from Pella, Iowa, and we're going to find out what Sean's all about when we come back. We would like to welcome our newest sponsor, Tanner Phillip Racing TPR Carts is a family and veteran-owned operation. Their goal is to provide the best pick carts and products at an affordable price for the everyday racer. You can get anything from a crew chief cart, a self-lifting cart, um, basically a tow cart, you name it, they make high quality stuff made in the USA, made right in central PA. And I tell you what, I, I've only known Rich now for a little while, but he seems like an absolutely great guy. We love the fact that he's a sponsor and I hope you guys take a look, take a look at him on Facebook Tanner Phillip Racing on Facebook. Also, tprcarts.com. Give them a look. They make great products. 
And we're back at Hoagie's Garage. We have Sean Thomas with us tonight. How are you doing tonight, Sean? I'm doing great, thank you. Doing good. Say, uh, why don't you just maybe start by, you know, introducing yourself, um, your family, and stuff like that. Sounds great. Um, well, uh, I was a California native who relocated to uh, Pella, Iowa a couple years ago. Uh, from a very young age, was always interested in racing, cars, and of all types. Um, started attending races at the fairgrounds in San Jose, uh, watching the, at that time, there were still super modifieds transitioning to sprint cars. Um, grew up going to that track for many years, uh, started working on a sprint car when I was about 16 there, uh, did front engine dragsters as well, uh, ran down in Southern California a lot with those, uh, everything from, uh, worked on race cars to drive race cars to own race cars um, and maintained a large collection of historic racing cars and, and you know, road cars and stuff like that uh, up till said just a couple years ago. And, and my wife and I and one of our three kids uh, relocated out here to Pella, Iowa. The uh, COVID not only uh, gave everyone a disease, but it, it, uh, it, it killed my California desire. <laughs> well, welcome to the great state of Iowa. Absolutely. <laughs> so you mentioned you were a car owner, a driver and everything. Yeah. Um, so you've been in all aspects of racing more or less you could say. Um, yeah. maybe this is a loaded question. I'm not sure, but which was easier and which was the hardest and i'm assuming one of them maybe was more stressful than the other or, or how'd that all work i uh, never enjoyed driving race cars um i really enjoyed working on the race cars uh i just didn't take any personal satisfaction out of driving them okay. i i kind of enjoyed testing them where i can do the development work on them and go out and feel it and decide what changes I wanted to make to get there, which gave me, I think kind of a, a nice skill set to be able to work with other drivers and, and see what the car was doing and what it, what I thought it needed to, you know, uh, handle or, or perform better. But, uh, I just didn't really enjoy being in the car and driving them. It just never really did anything for me. Okay. Um, I loved owning the raced cars, uh, never really felt stressful over it. Um, it, it's awfully difficult when you're a car owner and do all the maintenance and, and everything yourself, because, you know, while you're, working a career and raising a family there's just only so much time <laughs> time is uh, limited yes time is limited but um i i enjoyed it uh i enjoyed uh you know i enjoyed the drivers i've had i've enjoyed the uh you know people i've worked on cars for um ne never really had a driver in the car i didn't uh didn't uh enjoy having in the car so um from that standpoint, yeah, driving, never really cared for it, uh, but the rest of it I actually loved. Yeah. What, you know, um, in talking earlier with you, you had a son, that I believe, that did a little bit of racing. Um, yes. Did, did you ever, how much did you help him, or what was your role with him? 
Well, my son started in uh, in uh, go-karts, uh, pavement go-karts up at Sonoma Raceway. Uh, they have a go-kart track up there. I think he started right around maybe the age of seven or something like that. Um, we transitioned him to cars at, I think, about 13. Um, and he was running uh, like spec Miatas and stuff like that with like NASA, North American Sports Association. Um, he probably heard me say enough uh, times to people, you know, the world doesn't need another starving race car driver. So when it was kind of getting time for him in high school to get towards his final years, uh, he just made a decision that he was done racing and was going to focus on uh, preparing for college and going and getting a degree in engineering at UC Merced. Uh, it was really nice that I didn't have to, you know, force an issue. He did it on his own. Uh, he was a very competent driver, um, you know, won a lot of races, won some championships. But um, I never had to uh, say, hey, we need to focus on other things that, you know, prepare you for making a living. He did that yeah. on his own. Good for him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a tough talk to have with anybody. I mean, I, oh. I, I've, I've had to have some talks with some drivers, especially in the vintage racing. Sure. You know, uh, people who are getting older and stuff, and you sit there and say, you know, maybe it's time to enjoy this from a different side of the windshield. So, but um, you, you know, you mentioned that driving wasn't necessarily your favorite thing to do, and <laughs> I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but I know you you restore a bunch of old cars. Do you get a do you drive them at all, or what was your what's your favorite old car to drive in them old race cars, or haven't you been able to drive them? No, I, I've been fortunate. I've driven pre-war Grand Prix cars, post-war Grand Prix cars, Le Mans prototypes and Le Mans cars and things like that. One of the problems I've got is, is I've I severed a bunch of nerves in my leg and I really can't feel uh, anything from my waist down. So um, I don't really feel pedals under my feet. Oh, sure. Um, so I think that kind of zaps a little bit of the fun out of it. But yep. uh, I would say the pre-war Grand Prix cars are probably my favorite to drive uh, because they just uh, go. I mean, they, they, they don't do anything particularly great other than go fast. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, they certainly don't corner. They certainly don't break <laughs> great. But they look wonderful and they make the right noises. And they, yep. You know, they smell right. <laughs> um, as long as you're, you know, you're not a, a kind of safety-minded person. Take the seatbelts, disconnect them. Uh, you really don't want to be stuck in that thing if it's going to tip over. Sure. Take your chances, get thrown out yeah. of it. And uh, but they they are they are fun to drive from a standpoint of you know the greats drove them and and you got to get your elbows up and take the things by the scruff of the neck. But uh, as I said, if you can just let me go out and do practice days i can do those all day long and, and actually have fun yep. uh, but being in an environment where i'm having to go out and actually you know line up and it just doesn't do anything for sure. me you, usually if i'm doing it uh a lap before the end i'll just pull in and park the car and not that it did anything wrong it's just you know phone's yep. over yeah yeah you mentioned the right smell and the right sound we we have this discussion with different people too. You know, we act we have access to all the races on TV now, but it's not the same when you're not there and you're getting the smell of the gas and the alcohol and you get the noise and the atmosphere yeah. is what you know. I, I I get what you're saying anyhow about the smell and the sounds. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, these the ideas of watching races on television. I, you know, I'll, I'll watch you know races in Europe on television or the computer because I just can't physically be there. But yep. you know, the idea for me, you know, to, to you know uh, log on and watch a sprint car race on television, um, it, I, I got to really like my ex driver to you know to to log on and watch him because i I just can't stand it otherwise it just (laughs) does nothing for me at all yeah yeah so so sean um i didn't really know you at all until my friend from pella uh brian hoosier slick um (laughs) we call him slick anyhow you you, i think you've run into him at the bank um but and he, you know, after he talked to you, he like texted me right away and said, "Hey, you gotta get this Sean Thomas guy on. He's he does everything with racing." So, um, so that's what I did. I reached out to you. But uh, yeah. what what a small world this is because Chase Johnson drove for you. He drove his first yeah. four ten, I believe, for you. Um, and now Sean Quinn, um, you know, he drives for Sean Quinn, which yeah, has we become call him the other Sean. The other Sean, yep. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we've been, become really good friends with Sean Quinn. So, yes. and we're we're actually going to sponsor his car, Hoogie's Garage Podcast is. So I just think it's such a small world that all this happened. But tell us a little bit about how you know Chase and, sure. you know, what he did for you. So when we had started running uh, sprint cars, uh, the, the 360 cars actually out of California, um, you know, we had fun. We ran, you know, kind of at his home track. Um, I watched him the night when he won his, uh, track championship at Petaluma. Um, and you know, we'd kept running the 360 for, you know, another year or so. Um, he went through, uh, through, you know, kind of a tough time with an accident and, um, we watched him kind of coming back and just kind of felt that, you know, he needed a new set of challenges and, you know, something different, a completely different car, completely different atmosphere. Um, and, and that was great because we wanted to build a 410 program and, and, uh, you know, he was great in helping us do so. So, um, I knew his father because his father, uh, runs a business that would help me with our, uh, classic cars, the muffler shop there uh johnny franklin mufflers give a free plug and um i asked his dad hey what do you think about doing this and and he put me in touch with chase and uh said chase why don't we go do this and kind of struggled our first year a little bit um to no one's fault other than just kind of getting the equipment up to snuff we ran narc which at that time still had a pretty decent quality of car and drivers out there uh was no easy pickings um, and, uh, I'd say year two started finding some, some rhythm, uh, year three certainly found some rhythm and, um, kind of wanted to do some non-wing racing as well. So we, uh, took the wings off and, you know, our training wheels and, and <laughs> went proper sprint car racing, which was a lot of fun. I actually, I enjoyed that more. Um, we won a couple 410 wing races together, won some, uh, some 410 non-wing races like gold cup and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, we actually one time at, uh, the Louis Vermeil when dark and, uh, USAC CRA were running a double bill. Um, it was a, a two day show 
and we were um, uh, leading the 410 wing race when we ran out of fuel and we were closing in for a win on the uh, non-wing race when um, I I, I know we had a tire bleeder failure on one and uh, got punted in the back on another. I, I mean, easily could have won you know, those races, hands down, were fast time qualifier, I think, on both cars. They're just annoying stuff that would only happen. <laughs> Calistoga owes me some races. <laughs> I don't know if it'll ever uh, go green again, but that track certainly owes me some some races for sure. But, uh, yeah, that was how we met Chase. And, um, you know, it was great. We got to bring up uh, Tyler Silva, uh, you know, as a crew person and yep. work with him a lot. And, you know, I think he's doing a very solid job with uh, Chase with Sean Quinn's car. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm also looking forward to chase this year because he's actually bringing in a, um, a great crew chief who worked with JJ Hickel, uh, had some great success with them. So I think that'll help take a little pressure off of chase from having to do so much on his own. Um, so I hope he has a better season with NARC this year. Um, but yeah, that's what got us out to uh, this point. And then. I said COVID hit and parked the car and uh, packed up the old wagon and moved uh, 1,800 miles straight east. Headed east instead of heading west. So Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds... We, we were one of those statistics that you hear so often coming out of California, how people were moving from there. We were one of them. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. But not, not everybody moves to the cold, though. A lot like <laughs> moved to Florida or something like that. Well, you know, the wonderful thing about the cold is it helps the homeless issues. That's true. Yeah, you know, it's really tough to be homeless around here. So, uh, <laughs> I, you know, that that uh, California, the, the 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 those issues just were so difficult for me to deal with, uh, just from a from a humanity standpoint. I, I just. You know, I, I want to walk out. I want to take my dog for a walk and not worry if he's going to pick up a dirty needle on the ground or step over a homeless person. And, sure. you know, Pella just doesn't really have those problems, you know. Yeah. And Pella's further south than us, so they're warmer. Yeah, now they're a little bit warmer. We're warmer than you guys are up there, thank yeah. God. <laughs> All right. Hey, Sean, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get into more of your restoring and everything you do there. Great like to thank Octane Inc. from T, South Dakota. They pretty much do a little bit of everything. They are known for their wraps. They wrap golf carts, uh, snowmobiles, um, trailers, sprint cars, hobby stocks. It doesn't matter. Uh, Side-by-sides, they wrap it. Uh, they also do coolers and they will also do clothing. You can have t-shirts made there. Um, you name it, these guys can do it. I work with Brett uh, Vanderbrink all the time. He is amazing, and I can't thank him enough for how much he helps me. And if I were you guys, I would definitely check out Octane Inc. You can contact them by calling 605-213-8343. It is 800 East Prescott in T, South Dakota. And again, they're just great people to work with. All right, we're back in the garage with Sean. So let's get more into what you're doing now. 
um, you know, Bud's been telling me you're restoring small race cars. Yep. Tell us how this come about, because obviously from what you've been saying, you love the old race cars, because that's what you, you know, that's what you love yeah. to drive. So you've got to really enjoy working on them, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, so so um, just down the street from our house, uh, you know, we'll segue into, we got a hold of kind of the first blacksmith shop in the area. Um, it's kind of a blacksmith shop and a one bedroom house attached to the side of it. And it's literally just on the end of my block. So you know, it's hundred and something, maybe a hundred yards down the road. Um, so that's my kind of classic, my, my historic racing car, um, you know, uh, hangout. Uh, we call it the blacksmith shop or the man cave. So, um, so I've restored a couple cars out of there. We've got, uh, we've got a car that, uh, was driven by Mario Andretti in his rookie year. Um, 1961, he raced with URC, uh, drove this car for um, six races, maybe one or two more. Um, it's a car called the Fowler Dryer. It was a Floyd Pop Dryer car with a dryer twin overhead cam, full race engine. Um, that car was actually first built in about 48. So by the time he got in, it was pretty antiquated. Yep. But, uh, you know, he was a little driver with uh, no known history and no one was going to give him a chance in anything proper. So he kind of had to cut his teeth in some real junk boxes his first uh first year of driving um so that yeah i have that one and then i have a car that was built by a guy named bill finley um who was out of southern california at the time and it's really the first sprint roadster it's uh, uh built in 57 um and it looks like an indie roadster uh powered by a 302 cubic inch straight six gmc laid over on its side with Hillborn injection and a 12 port cross flow head and, and all that. And that's a completely original car, original pinstriping really? as it pulled off the track. So, um, so that's a wonderful car. Those two hang out inside my shop. Um, and then I supply parts for, uh, you know, various indie cars that are being restored, like old indie roadsters and stuff like that. So kind of, Anything that involves early Americana racing from the Vanderbilt Cup cars, um, you know, kind of help out a little bit of stuff with midgets, doing a couple offy midget motors and helping a friend back in Pennsylvania with some uh, midget restorations he's doing. I mean, you know, those cars really cut the teeth of, of so much American racing and, and brought so many drivers through from midgets to sprint cars to champ and indie cars um i mean it was just a, a natural progression there, there was you know these cars ran five seven times a week in in new england and in southern california at, at you know um uh at, at the coliseum and all these you know various tracks all over at ascot and, and gardena and uh, and imperial and all these different tracks that ran uh, cars that literally the, the stars that were running Indianapolis could be, you know, the next week in Southern California running or mm -hmm. Bakersfield or, or anywhere. And, you know, there was a time in California, uh, you know, so much of hot rodding, which, 
you know, was a springboard to, to his, you know, what we now call historic racing, but, you know, at the time it was, you know, current racing, it all started in Southern California. You had, you know, Miller and Offenhauser and Curtis, and they were all Southern California companies. And you had drivers like, you know, Bill Vukovic and, uh, and, you know, all, all these, you know, West coast drivers, um, that, came back to Indy every year and cars that would be towed from Southern California or, or, you know, in Miller's case at one point driven back to Indianapolis. <laughs> um, so you have these like hot pockets, no different than today of, of yep. tons of talent in places. Um, you know, Pennsylvania, you know, you had so much talent back there. You still do today. Uh, Indianapolis was just kind of where they all kind of merged to. But when you looked at a lot of the drivers back there, they weren't really from there. I mean, a lot of drivers were, you know, coming out of California or coming out of Pennsylvania or coming out of New Jersey or, you know, the South and stuff to come up and go racing. And it's the, the only thing that's different between now and, and, and then was, is just a lot of zeros, uh, how it all happens now. And, and, you know, the drivers are so young now compared to, you know, the drivers, you know, back then, but, um, yeah. So, uh, we just sit there now and restore lots of old historic racing cars, engines for racing cars and, you know, classic sports cars that, you know, maybe raced it you know, uh, Sebring or, or, uh, you know, at, um, you know, I'll just host attracts Watkins Glen and, and, uh, road America and, you know, Laguna and golden gate park and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not just one of these people who just like finds one kind of racing interesting. I find endurance racing and Grand Prix, uh, racing interesting, been to Monaco a bunch for the historic Grand Prix. And, sure. Uh, I can't count how many tracks I've been to across America and, you know, across the world. I mean, it's countless, countless tracks. But <laughs> I, yeah. I need to go back just a little bit. And did you, you said, I can't remember the name, so I suck horribly at names, but they drove one of the Indy cars to the track yeah. from California or back from the track? Or how yeah, was that? no. Um, so uh, at one point in time, I'm trying to remember what engine Miller it was, but there, there was uh, some Millers that I think they were kind of doing it to try to flex their muscle a little or, or kind of prove a point. But they drove some some Miller, uh, what were Indy cars, um, from uh, Southern California out to Indianapolis to race them. And the problem that they got was is they just couldn't get the speed out of the cars, largely because they'd put enough miles on them that they probably, you know, <laughs> were losing a little compression. Yep, yeah. <laughs> put a little too much time on them. You know, it's one thing when they're all aging together. But, yep. uh, you know, I think they kind of blew their wad a little early <laughs> going over the Continental Divide. <laughs> so, But, uh, you know, that was common in the days. I mean, you know, Back in even at Le Mans, I mean, uh, people drove cars from from Britain, you know, uh, and put them on the ferry and across the channel, and sure. literally drove the cars to the track and raced them. And sure. you know, uh, you, I, I guess you know they had great train service or a buddy who would bring you home if it all went wrong, and it certainly did at times. But, oh yeah. 
See, that's what I was talking about, learning things. I that's never knew anybody it. drove their cars to the track. Well, not that yeah. far. We had a guy that I worked with. He only lived a half a block from the Rocky track. He'd drive his down there, but yeah, that's that was a half, half a block. block. <laughs> yeah, not... Sports car racing, it wasn't totally uncommon, especially at places like Lamar or, you know, small circuits in Britain. But, uh, you know, even at Indianapolis, I mean, Harry Miller was – and you think about it. If you were able to sit there and take a car and drive it from L.A. over there and then – put the car in the show and you know everybody of course enters indy thinking they're gonna win yeah so we'll fast forward to if it won yeah <laughs> and then he could drive it home i mean what a great publicity stunt yeah, i yeah. mean harry miller was probably who well, i mean certainly responsible for the greatest influence of american uh racing there ever was bar none uh, I mean, he was the, he was the, you know, the, the catalyst that made the Offenhauser engine, which was the winningest motor in, in American yep. motorsports. Um, so he, he was the greatest machinist and, and had such an eye for the aesthetics of a car and everything. He proved to be a horrible business person, <laughs> but, um, you know, his, his flamboyant uh, yeah, he, he could he could build a motor and he can and he can promote something very very well. But uh, you know, it was all the other parts. You know, that, yeah, and I think that's the way. You know, most artists, are not very good business people, they have to wait till they die for their stuff to actually become worth something. <laughs> <laughs> so, getting back to Pella, um, yep. this blacksmith uh, shop that you have, you did did that blacksmith shop come with? Um, a bunch of these materials that you have. I know you kind of share stuff with uh, um, the Hall of Fame and you kind of rotate things out. But, I mean, tell us some of the things that uh, you have there. Well, I started collecting. I mean, I think I started collecting uh, memorabilia for racing cars probably when I was 12. <laughs> And have always been an avid collector of it. And that, so I have a, what's thought to be Graham Hill's first crash helmet, who was, you know, a very accomplished driver. Um, you know, one Monaco, one Grand Prix, one Le Mans, one uh, Indy, uh, you know, fantastic driver. Um, I've got uh, a privilege to be able to get a hold of uh, a old champion 100 mile per hour jacket, which was a jacket that you, um, had won as a driver if you had averaged 100 miles per hour uh, through the entire race, including your pit stops and everything, which okay. was no easy feat in the early days. Oh, they no. kind of disbanded the club in the 60s because the cars were getting fast enough where, and pit stops were getting fast enough that it you know, started becoming a little common practice. But you know, The jacket um, didn't mean as you know, much by then anymore. Yeah, but I mean, those jackets were were really special to a driver. I mean, that that was like having a Super Bowl ring. Sure, uh, that was the greatest honor. Um, and and there's very very few of those left in existence. Most big museums don't even have one. They were too near and dear to the driver. They always kind of stayed with them. So, sure. you know, things like that. Old drivers' contracts from very historic races that led to fatalities and. Um, uh, the, the amount of, you know, old driver's uniforms, you know, back when a driver had a uniform for years, uh, same thing like an old Cromwell helmet or, or, you know, something like that. I mean, these things, you know, drivers had for many, many years. So the artifact 
is more symbolic than they are today uh where drivers go through you know half a dozen helmets in a year or something yeah um you know they're beautiful and they're you know colorful and everything but you know you're lucky if you can attribute it to a race or two whereas you know back then you you know attributed these things to a, a full season or more. Yep. Um, so I, I kind of like the, the personal side of racing. Um, I like the fact that, you know, back in the, you know, thirties, you know, the thirties, forties, fifties, um, and, and into the early sixties when, you know, you really weren't making a great deal of money as a racer, but you were using it to help, you know, supplement your income. I mean, it was a very important thing. You know, you, you didn't, typically see drivers going out there and ballparking cars and stuff because a they'd have a car owner to to deal with and b you're going to win nothing if you you know junk someone's stuff so you know realizing that that was probably your grocery money you were racing for uh was an important thing and finishing fourth if that's all you had was a fourth place car was a heck of a lot better than junking it trying to take third and getting nothing out of well, it. Well, that so. and then them cars that they ran back then, like you were saying, the safety features for them things, if you crash oh, bad, yeah. it, I mean, the, the fatality percentage was way higher back then than what it is now. It, it really was. I mean, fire was a, certainly a, a leading uh, contributor to those because, you know, Nomex suits weren't out, you know, no. in the earlier days. No, they wore yet. old coveralls, you know, like you had at the yep. freaking gas station. Yeah, and I mean, I can't tell you how many great photos I have of drivers who were literally wearing, you know, nothing more than a T-shirt. Yep. And, you know, penny loafers. I mean, these guys were, you know, very, very, um, I mean, they're gladiators, you know, inside of race cars. And there was a book written that was called Damn Few Died in Bed. <laughs> and it's really a great book to read. But the the title is so apt because i mean most of these drivers never got to a mature age to, to no. you know to talk about it. we lost so many incredibly you know great people i mean bob swikert was was a uh, great talent in 55 winning le mans or i'm sorry not le mans indian 55 was supposed to go to europe to actually race uh in some grand prix have a a, a, a potential um career uh going to europe and and i mean this was quite some time ago that you know they were pulling drivers from america to go and race in europe just kind of unheard of and he lost his life in a um high banked accident in uh in ohio in 56 um and it was kind of a life cut short but i mean if only god knows what he could have accomplished i mean it was just uh, you know another you know, it was another Vukovic story, just, you know, incredible, immense talent, uh, unfortunately, uh, cut short. So, yeah. And and that's what appeals me to these cars is, is that, you know, they were a bit dangerous and they were certainly, uh, willing to take your life if you let them. And, and, and that, is, is so in, in the same stakes as you know there weren't a lot of autographs you know back then that were signed at the time and that you know the memorabilia back then before people knew to collect it because it would become valuable mm-hmm. uh, and, and often at the time you know uh the people who owned these cars were probably not the most responsible nor nor you know 
number one dads on the earth. You know, they spent their time out in their garages working on their race cars. So, you know, when they passed on and the kids kind of got to inherit all the junk, I think a lot of the kids kind of resented um, uh, their father's passion. Maybe they didn't go to enough baseball games sure. or, you know, things like that. So when that stuff was available to be, you know, when they inherited it, a lot of it just got pitched away sure. because it was kind of a sore subject. Yeah. That stuff, unfortunately, just doesn't exist too much anymore. Yeah. All right. We're going to take one quick more break and then we'll kind of come back and wrap everything up. One quick more. Great. Is that proper English? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fulkins Brothers Trucking, complete livestock hauling. A load with us is a load off your mind. Since 1979, call Trim at. 800-831-8553. That's Fulkins Brothers Trucking. Um, call Trim at 800-831-8553. And thank you, fellas, for being part of our show. All right, we're back at the garage again with Sean. Now, Sean, I, you don't know me from Adam, but I grew up, my grandpa collected old cars, old, old everything. Grandpa my grandpa collected anything he could find. So I've been into the history stuff. Now, we'll be down for the Nationals again this year. So I'm asking this for, well, for everybody and myself, but do you give tours or if, if we reach out to you, could we like come down and see your shop and stuff? Oh, absolutely. You know, people reach out to me on Facebook all the time. Um, the museum sends people over. You know, last year we had Jimmy Sills coming over and Dick Woodland, who owns the museum out in Paso Robles in California. So, um, yeah, they all find me. Uh, or if you're driving down, uh, you know, through, I mean, Pella's not very big. There's, you know, one old historic road that you really kind of drive down, which is where all the bakeries and everything are on. So if you kind of drive down that road, you find me quick. Um, but, uh, and you could ask anybody, but yeah, I usually have like my door open on the Fridays or, or, you know, stuff of the nationals. Um, you know, I got my door open and people pop in, uh, pretty regularly. Friday's kind of my day of being there. But, uh, if I know someone's going to, you know, want to come by earlier than that, I open up. Absolutely. I mean, just live right down the street. So it's easy. Good. Cause we'll, we'll be in Pella for the <laughs> nationals where it's worse. You know, we stay with slick and. So we're yeah. not too far away, and I should have known this this past summer because me and the wife took a little weekend trip, and we were down at Pella and checked out the windmill and the bakeries and the lockers, and we come home with a whole bunch of stuff that you eat that you're not supposed to, you know. But <laughs> oh, I know the food is good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's uh, get into some rapid fire questions for you. So I'll get it started. What's what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Daiquiri ice. That's a new one. That is a new one. I didn't um, know there was a daiquiri ice, but... <laughs> Are you a cat or dog person? Dog. Okay, obviously you're pretty tied up in the history of things. Do you have any hobbies outside of that? Golfing or anything like that? or? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess you could say my... I, I do, you know, uh, restoration of old historic buildings and stuff. I okay. mean, you know, my, my blacksmith shop was built in 1850s. Uh, our house was built in 1890s, so um, I do a lot of town preservation here, historic preservation in the town, so that's probably my hobby. Okay. There you go. Um, by chance, do you have a favorite movie? Uh, the Art of Racing in the Rain. Okay. So now that you're in Iowa, do you prefer snow or do you prefer rain? Um, I prefer rain. If... Uh, you're going to be stranded on an island. What kind of music would you have to take with you? Classical. 
Do you have a favorite place to go out to eat? Uh, no, actually, I'm a, I am ai do most of the cooking, so I prefer to be sitting by the fire pit or at the barbecue on our back deck with our that, neighbors. That works go. perfectly fine for me, too. So um, how about a favorite holiday? Um... Thanksgiving. See, there's the food thing again. We're back to food. <laughs> yeah, and family. You know, yeah, it's, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what app on your phone do you use the most? Uh, Facebook. And yeah, you know, this kind of gets back. We always ask this question because we interview a lot of race car drivers, and and you did race. So, how many uh, speeding tickets do you have? Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> While moving to uh, to Iowa from California, I racked up a lot. And being that it's a, a income generation on Highway 80 coming through, and they've got speed limits that are altered by electronic speed signs, so they can change them at a whim. Stay I out of Cedar last, Rapids. Yeah, I think last year I got maybe eight. Ooh. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Not a good yeah, year. Just real quickly, I know it's rapid fire, but I got pulled over by a cop coming back from Indianapolis and I had all my chrome plating or nickel plating that I was bringing back for the Andretti car in it. A cop nailed me doing, I think I was doing about 110 on a kind of a B road on where it was supposed to be like 45. Anyways, he pulled me over and asked me where I was going. And I said, well, I was driving from Pell, Iowa to Indianapolis and back in the same day to pick up all my plating to put the Andretti car together. And he took great pity on me. We talked about the car, showed him some photos, and he gave me a warning. So <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty lucky. After <laughs> 60 mile an hour over, I'd call that really lucky. Yeah. So obviously you've gone 110, but what's the fastest you've ever driven on the highway? Uh, 168. Ooh. What were we in on that one then? Uh, what was that? What were you driving when you did that then? Uh, just an old race car. Okay. There you go. Huh. Um, do you have a favorite drink or beverage? Mountain Dew. Oh, look at that guy. Yeah. So this one, this one might be tough on you. I don't know. But if money was no object, is there a car that you wish you could own? Yeah, I wouldn't even take much. My favorite American car is a Studebaker Avanti. Um, they're not particularly expensive. I just always have better things to spend money on. Uh, but that would be the one car I would buy still. Everything else I already have. That's perfect. That's really cool. So um, just to kind of wrap it up, um, you know, where I've kind of watched some of you a little bit, Sean, was um, the history of the mystery man. Um, oh yeah, Don, history you, mystery man. Yeah, yeah, so if you go to YouTube, you can see a bunch of Sean uh, Thomas's stuff. But look up history of the mystery man, Sean Thomas, or just type in Sean Thomas restoring race cars in Pella, Iowa. But maybe give us a quick little story about the history of the mystery man. So Don does all sorts of great videos. Uh, most of them are on things like one of his top sellers are on like the shipwreck, the Edmund Fitzgerald. But he kind of does a lot of American tales, if you will. Uh, so he videos um, old race shops. Um, uh, he, he did uh, Steve Trucian's shop. He does old indie cars um over in indianapolis uh and then he does you know lots of other people's old race shops 
Uh, I saw one on Carl drivers. Kinzer. Yeah, Carl Kinzer, which was a great video to watch. Yes, really fun. It really was. Yeah, and then he does lots of old race tracks. Um, I think he works, uh, you know, that, that has some affiliation with uh, uh, the Speedway over in, in oh, uh, a Speedway, it's maybe Salem or something like that. Some affiliation, but small towns going across America. So if he's going to a USAC show, he drives through all these, you know, small towns and will stop and video them. Uh, anything Abraham Lincoln. So he reached out when he had to be in California for a memorial service and, um, you know, came on over, thought he was just going to kind of, you know, do a segment, which was fine just on an old race car. And then all of a sudden it's this building and it's the town and it's <laughs> everything else. And he, he kind of fell in love. We, we kind of have adopted him as a, as a, uh, citizen from afar, <laughs> resident from afar of Pella. But, um, yeah, they, and, and they're great. Uh, everybody should watch his shows. They've got lots of great content, brings people closer to, you know, some places that you don't otherwise get to see. And, um, you know, I think we all have pretty active. I know, you know, so many people have kind of, you know, I don't know what to make of Facebook and stuff, but there are some really great um, pages of Facebook that are all about, uh, uh, you know, old racing sites yep. and stuff like that. And, you know, they're, they're a lot of fun to kind of get on and learn a lot from. You bet. All right. Well, Sean, we can't thank you enough for coming on and just sharing kind of your whole past and stuff like that. I just think it's great that you're right in, you know, Pella, Iowa now and not California, but, uh, you know, one of our own from Iowa. So thanks so much for oh, coming on. Absolutely. And if people get on my Facebook page, you could actually have some video, some uh, photos posted of me um talking with mario andretti about the uh cars that uh he drove in his rookie year um and and here he was looking at photos of these cars from 61 years ago so it, it's pretty neat that you know i was able to you know make a connection back to him and, and talk to him in person about these cars and uh share that back with him yeah that is that's absolutely yeah. awesome that he can look i'm back. sure i'm sure that had to be kind of a thrill for you Oh, it was, yeah, it was, it was great for me. It was, you know, it was fun to listen to the stories about him and, and, you know, hear him, you know, all of his comments of what it was like back then. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was more of a thrill than being on Hoagie's Garage podcast, that's for sure. Heck, I'd like to right. more I, I would say on par with, at least. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully I can talk the rest of the group into stopping by and seeing your shop when we're down there. Yeah, yeah ab absolutely. No, hit me up. You guys got my number and yep. uh, come on by and. Uh, bring some friends. All we'll right. do our best. Thank you again for coming on the show. Take care. Yep, bye-bye. Co-op Energy, your tri-state supplier for all your energy needs. Tires for cars, trucks, and tractors, and fuel like farm fuel, gas, and propane to heat your house and all your livestock barns. Co-op Energy even supplies the propane for the propane pusher. Co-op Energy has several convenient stores in towns located near your local tracks. Stop in before the race to get your gas, snacks, and beer. If interested in doing business with CEC, give Randy a call, 712-400-8216. One more time, 712-400-8216. To set up an account, or you can visit our website at www.coopenergy.com.
www.ccoco.com to find a location near your favorite track. Some of those locations are Wildcat Junction in Larchwood, Jackrabbit Junction in Sibley, in Worthington, the Interstate Sea Store, or the Blue Line Truck Stop. In Lakefield, it's Junction 86. And in Milford, Boji Junction. Stop by and see what they have for you. Hey, Tobe, that was pretty good. I, 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 like I said, I was looking forward to it, and I'm glad we got to talk to the man, and I'm really hoping we can get together with him when we go down in Oxville. Yeah, let's see I, if you can twist Joe's arm. Joe's... Yeah. Joe's the one that dictates what we all do, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, always, Joe's kind always, of the yeah. pain in the rear. and Always got to be the one telling you know, what to go and where yeah. to do. And yeah, I know how he is, but <laughs> we'll, just leave him at, we'll just leave him at Slicks and go without him. Well, that's what kind of what we did last year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, I'm just waiting for a text. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as, well, we haven't posted it yet. I so know, but I'm going to be getting You'll hear about tonight. it. So, uh, anyways, great guy. Love what he's doing, you know, restoring all the cars, keeping the history alive. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, um, you know, go to YouTube, look up History of the Mystery Man, and, you know, you can look up Sean Thomas yep. and find his too. But I'm just telling you, there's a ton of great videos, um, as Sean was saying. So thanks so much to Sean. Um, I hope a lot of people take the chance to go out and meet Sean and see his shop. Hopefully they enjoy this as much as I did. Yeah, absolutely. So we have one more tonight when we come back. Uh, we'll have another podcast on a little bit later tonight.